0: You found the Diggin Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our podcast, please help out the show by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Oak Island to learn more. Okay, let's begin our podcast this week, as I always love to do, with your comments and questions. But before we do that, I want to thank our friend Ginger for her amazingly generous donation. Thank you so much, Ginger. Uh, You've been part of the Diggin Oak Island family for quite some time now, and I simply can't thank you enough for all of your support. You also sent in a couple of emails, so let's get to those. You wrote two of them this week, so uh, let's get to them both. We'll start off with one where you're referring to the bail seal, that the team found some weeks back. Ginger writes, The description you gave is not what I saw it as. I used to work at a bank, and the vault teller received bags of money with the lead seal and had a thing that took them off, as well as a crimper for whatever, she's, whatever whenever she sent old bills back to the Treasury for destruction. This doesn't look at all like something for cotton or bales of hay. It looks exactly like the money bag seals from the U.S. Treasury or Federal Reserve to our vault. That's all, Ginger. Uh, here's the thing, Ginger. Uh, uh, you could be right, but it's not my description, <laughs> right? It's the team and uh, and their experts um, who call it a bail seal. Um, I- I'm only repeating what they have been saying since they found it, really, and that is, you know, that it's a bag seal. Sometimes they call it a bail seal, a bag seal. Um, and I, and I got to admit, uh, just from matching up some old photos of sort of, you know, uh, antique bail seals and that kind of thing, they seem to match up. I mean, that's the best I can do from television since I don't have it in front of me. But, uh, you know, I certainly accept your expertise here. And your conclusion is absolutely something worth looking out for in the future if and when we see more of this seal. Uh, Great, great stuff. Great point there. Um, Okay, like I said, she sent a couple of emails and we're going to hear from her again later on as well. So Ginger also wrote, if anyone has ever read the Bible, they would know that if the Ark of the Covenant is down in the hole... And they find it, someone touches it, they will die. However, I don't think it's down there, because in the book of Revelation, when John is looking up to heaven, he sees God and Jesus and the Ark of the Covenant, so it is not on Oak Island. And then she writes a laugh out loud there. Great points as always, Ginger. I think it's pretty simple why we talk about the Ark and the Holy Grail and those sorts of things. I mean, there really is, when you think about it, no evidence whatsoever or even much reason at all to believe that those items are buried 100 feet deep on Oak Island. No reason other than legends, you know. These are two of the most famous missing items probably in the history of the Western world, for crying out loud. I mean, if there is a mystery somewhere in the world, sooner or later, someone is going to start talking about things like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail or Captain Kidd's treasure, for that matter. I mean, those aren't the only two. There are many others, right? That's the thing about oak island that makes it so great it's one of the main reasons this treasure hunt has been so enduring and so compelling so popular for so many years is because it includes these many legends whether for good reasons or not it still includes them ginger again uh thank you so much for your emails thank you for your support and for being part of the family here great stuff as always Okay, so let's go to an email from Zach who writes, hey, Dave, love your show. What is the reason that both Irving and R and Rock are used at the same time? What's the difference between the two companies? I assume you have already discussed this on your show. If not, I'd love to hear the answer. Take care, Zach. Zach, we haven't discussed it on the show. Um, I'm kind of more of a history and dig kind of guy more than the specifics of the show. Um so these are the kinds of questions that I really aren't good at answering. I really don't have much information on. But I do know people who can answer them, including a gentleman you might have heard of by the name of Scott Barlow. So I sent Scott your question, and he here is his reply. He wrote, quote, they are two different companies. Rock stands for Rotator Oscillator Kason. That's what they do because they work all over the world. They use cranes and such from the area they are working so they don't have to ship cranes globally. So when here, they use Irving. So Irving is essentially the local crane provider and that kind of stuff. And then Rock uh, brings in the cans and the oscillators. I hope that makes sense. Um, thank you, Zach, for your email. It's a great question. Uh, and our especially our thanks to uh, Scott Barlow for taking the time out and answering that one for us. Okay, we only have one more email. This is going to be a bit shorter podcast this week than we, uh, than we have had in the past. So uh, anyway. Let's get up to uh, this last email from Chris who writes, Hi Dave, I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning and I enjoy your approach to the topic of Oak Island. I appreciate your earnest seeking for the truth behind the mystery, whatever that may be. I'm not convinced personally about a treasure still being there, although I'd love for it to be. I'm more interested in the archaeological mystery of the island than the treasure hunt, the road, the wharf, etc. Really the history of it all and trying to find out how and by whom these things were constructed. While searching for the location of Oak Island, my app dropped me on an island by the same name in the north of the, to, to the north of the show's Oak Island. I'm curious if you know anything about this other island, as it seems odd to me the two islands have the same name and relatively same area. Are there any connections you know of and see attached pictures for the island location? Thanks for your best work. Uh, for your work, best regards, Chris. Chris, if I'm reading your photos here correctly and he sent some pictures, um, you're actually asking about... An Oak Island, which is located in something called Wrights Lake, which is in Nova Scotia. This lake is, you know, pretty close to Oak Island for sure, but it is much, you know, it is a lot closer to Halifax um, than this Oak Island, and it's obviously inland, right? So because it's it's a it's a lake, it's freshwater lake. I mean, there are tons of lakes over there in that area. And Chris, I I know nothing about that particular Oak Island, other than that it exists. But are you ready for this one? I do know of yet another Oak Island in Nova Scotia, and this one is a coastal island up in the north side of Nova Scotia in what is called Fox Harbor, which is across from the Gulf of St. Lawrence, from the uh, just across the Gulf from Prince Edward Island. I don't know much about either of these islands. Uh, I think the only connection is the name, and the name is pretty specific. I mean, unless it was somebody's last name of Oak, it means there were oak trees there. <laughs> I'm not sure either of these other two islands have ever been inhabited. There might be a house or two on one of them, uh, but they're pretty far flung places. Um, You know, the thing is, we have all been told that our Oak Island that we talk about on this show is called Oak Island because it was incredibly unusual due to the oak trees growing on the island, trees that seemingly grew nowhere else seems maybe there's a possibility that that isn't completely true, that maybe Oka, oaks did grow on other places. Who knows? Uh, thank you, Chris. Wish I could answer that for you, but I, I really know nothing about them. Keep those emails coming. And uh, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to hear discussed on a future podcast, just send me an email, island at gmail.com. It is time now to discuss Season 9, Episode 17 of The Curse of Oak Island called Blast from the Past. The episode this week was really only about the money pit, but there was some quick talk about some artifacts found over at Lot 15, the area where the team has been doing some GPR scanning on this new stone wharf. Sometimes they call it a stone road or a path. They've had a lot of names for it. Uh, This is the one found earlier this year over by the swamp on the uh, southeast corner of the swamp. This is also the spot where the government asked them to stop working because they found some artifacts from the local First Nations people, the Mi'kmaq people. Um, The the narration also explains here that the team is actually gathering evidence to help with a new permit they are hoping to file in order to restart work over here in this area. So once again, it seems the idea of a complete stoppage, a total government shutdown of the swamp was not entirely correct. (laughs) As they are telling us right here in this scene that there is a process and it is indeed in place to return to working over here. Now, the team is actually on a uh, video conference call here with uh, Dr. Krista Brousseau, who we've seen many, many times before. And they're here to get some analysis from her on um, the artifacts found over on Lot 15 over the past couple of weeks, specifically... They found a, a spike and a small hammerhead, and um, you know, and that kind of stuff. She says they are both pre eighteen forties wrought iron. Uh, the spike from perhaps pre seventeen ninety, although she didn't seem completely convinced of that, if I'm honest. Uh, but that could have just been a result of the editing here. Remember, these folks are in these meetings and talking to the fellowship for hours. Yet we get to see like four minutes of it on the actual finished product of the show. So there is always something lost that just has to be. And then probably some things that don't look as clean in the in the editing as you would have wanted. She says essentially the same thing about the hammerhead, same general makeup and age. And on the Patreon discussion, our friend, our aforementioned friend Ginger asked, could the claw hammer be from a cobbler, the people who used to make shoes? And that's a good question. Um. I mean, I'm no expert ginger on this, but I did a quick search and I couldn't find any examples of a cobbler's hammer with a claw end on it. It doesn't mean it isn't possible because it is the right size, right? But claw hammers are usually described as carpenter's tools because of the claws obviously used to pry nails out of wood. But this does seem very, very small. And it kind of brings up the fact that I wish they would talk a little bit more about what what this hammer and what a hammer of this size might have been used for. And it is really strange to me that they haven't taken this piece to Carmen Leg, try to get a better idea. I mean, you know, an old hammer, that's, that's, that's right up Carmen's alley for sure. I mean, maybe he's off racing his blue Corvette around somewhere. I don't know, but uh, it does seem weird that this would be analyzed by her before even discussing with an expert who might know what it was and what it was used for. Anyway, all I can say about this scene is that it's not really much learned here, if I'm honest. But I want to veer off on the proverbial road here, uh, off the proverbial road here, because I just can't go on without saying this. And if you are a lover of the show and don't like when I get um, cranky with the narration or the writing or anything like that, then just uh, fast forward a few seconds. Uh, I cannot, for the life of me, understand why the writing team for this show, seems to be so amazingly unaware of what the word ancient actually means. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again here. They are forever calling things from the 18th century potentially ancient or something along those lines. Now, maybe this is the old pedantic in me, right, coming out, the uh, oh. <laughs> the one who always tells people that things can't be, uh, you know, it tells them the difference between less and fewer. And, uh, you know, you can't be very unique and that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe that's just the old OCD and me coming out and that kind of stuff. But can we please get this right? I mean, you're a writer for God's sake. Uh, an 18th century hammer is not ancient. It's old, it's antique. It is not ancient. When speaking in a historical context, right, and using the word properly and not just using it like, you know, uh, I don't know, (laughs) just sort of in a slang way, right? Somebody's looks ancient or something like that. Um, The word is pretty well defined and you could look in any dictionary and see that it is quote of or relating to the historical period beginning with the earliest known civilizations and extending to the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 AD, nothing, not this hammer, nor anything else found on Oak Island, is ancient. Okay, rant over. All right, let's talk about the Money Pit area now. The episode actually begins with the team bringing Oak Island legend Dan Hensky to the dig site. The man refers to as uh, the elder statesman of Oak Island. They brought Dan here to see the progress of the work being done and and also to sort of do a ceremonial start for the new caisson that they're about to start uh, and even name it. He calls it early Christmas one. And I absolutely love Dan's complete lack of sentimentality here. I mean, the old treasure hunter wants treasure and that's pretty much it. Uh, also his mention of Christmas points out something, um, that it might be worth, uh, mentioning that it does appear to be getting later in the season. Steve on the Patreon pointed this out as well. He wrote quote, trees are still green, but they are bundled up. So we are getting towards the second half of the season. Now, listen, for somebody who spent a lot of time on the Gulf of Maine and, um, you know, it can be cold in the middle of July up there. So it's not always, uh, the right indicator, but it does seem to be that way here that we're getting a little bit later in the season. The new case on which they are referring to now, thanks to Dan, is EC1 is being dug about eight feet to the east of the last can we saw, TF1, which ended in uh, failure last week. Uh, I like how the narration, the narration here sort of spells out the plan for EC1, saying that they are looking for a collapsed tunnel, hopefully filled with treasure at around 118 feet down so we can kind of follow along. It's also, uh, they talk about hoping to hit the chapel vault at a depth of 150 feet. Much of the early part of the episode was um, sort of recapping and setup. A lot of fans don't like that kind of thing, but I thought this week week it really helped uh, to kind of build up the anticipation for uh, for the new work being done here for sure. Now I'm going to go out of order here a bit and focus just on the work done at EC1 before we talk about the rest of the Money Pit related work we saw this week. In just a bit, uh, hopefully this helps sort of contextualize all this for you. So. At around seventy-five feet, later on in the show, EC One starts to hit something, but uh, nothing—you know—something that's kind of slowing it down, but nothing that just stops its progress, like we had in the TF One. However, right around this time, the team pulls out a flat piece of slate. And there is some good explanation here about why the um there is so this is so strange, and it's because of this type of stone is found on the other side of the island, essentially saying there is no reason for it to be down here in this area, certainly not by itself. And Dr. Spooner comes over and he confirms that it is indeed out of place and um, and it certainly seems weird to me, or at least that's what it you know the experts think. but what do I know? I mean, having said all that, you know. I mean, with all the digging and backfilling done over the years here, I'm not surprised, you know, I I guess I'm not surprised that we didn't get any follow-up on this rock. Let me put it that way. Now, down at 82 feet, they start finding wood. Specifically here, a big piece of axe-cut timber. And then later, around 90 feet, they find another big squared-off timber. And then they pull up this really thick, round piece of a log. I mean, this looked really strange to me. Um, it Because it didn't look milled at all, right? It looked like someone did nothing more than cut down a tree, trim off its branches, and then, you know, and that's all they did before putting it underground to use it for whatever purpose they wanted to use it for. Uh, really strange. Not a lot of follow-up on it, but I was fascinated by it. And, and I'll be really fascinated by it if they end up not doing the dendrochronology on it, because it seems very strange to me, but it, it, we, we got to see where this this whole thing goes because we don't get much more work here. The work at EC1 soon comes to a close for this episode with Craig saying that the can is in what he calls a quote-unquote disturbed zone. So there's definitely more to come next week as they hit those two target depths that they mentioned earlier in the show. So let's do more on the money pit here because there was a lot of talk about um, stuff uh, from a previous case on a lot of talk in this episode about the case on TF1 and things found over the last couple of weeks. Um, This was the case on again that we saw last week uh, that ended the end of uh, last episode. We see Alex Lagina, Peter Fornetti, and Eric Valois sorting through spoils on the wash table again. Uh, Valois finds what looks like a leather strap of some kind, a little skinny little piece of a leather strap, but we don't see much more about it. I'm not sure we can glean too much from it, honestly, um, because we didn't really get any follow-up. Now, later on in the same bunch of spoils, I think. Uh, They pull out a piece of what looks like paper or maybe parchment, which turns out to be a lot more interesting. Now, during this time, we see three guys from something called the Brucker Corporation coming down to the island. They're here to help the team with a new piece of equipment they have acquired. It's a uh, (laughs) what must be a not very cheap thing called the SkyScan 1273CT. It is what the narrator describes as computer tomography scanner, which essentially is a small CAT scan device, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The guys from Brucker tell us that this machine can help the team see what an artifact looks like under all of the corrosion, basically getting us a closer look at seeing what something found in the ground might originally have looked like before it spent decades and uh, maybe even centuries underground getting dirty and getting all corroded. Now, the guys bring this little piece of paper or parchment or whatever pulled off the wash table from the TF1 spoils to this interpretive center on Oak Island and to the Brucker guys to see it through the SkyScan 1273 CT and hopefully see what this machine can see. Now, at first, they seem to think that this might indeed be old parchment, but that's about to change because the Brucker guys want to do some more extensive scanning. At the end of this first scene and then later in the episode at a meeting with in the war room, I believe, after a lot of really good explanation on everything they found in this extensive scan, giving us a real close look at a lot of stuff. And I got to give the editors credit for for this. You know, credit where credit is due. They did a good job explaining here. We complain about them a lot, but they did a really good job of, uh, of this explanation here. And after a lot of this... Um, explaining and what could be and what they found, we learned that this was likely a piece of paper from a stick of dynamite. And that brings us back to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the Old Gold Salvage and Wrecking Company. Now, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, TF1, the team found an old rubber boot from the period when the wonderfully named Old Gold Salvage and Wrecking Company was digging on Oak Island. And this was the first part of the 20th century, the first decade of the 20th century. As the narrator explains, FDR's friends actually exploded dynamite down in their shaft, which they thought was the money pit. (laughs) And this was all in an attempt to break up the wood that apparently was piled up and log jammed in there from the collapse. And I think they were also, in some regards, looking to uh, maybe stop the flooding by potentially, you know, blowing and collapsing any of the flood tunnels leading from the beach. For some, this could mean the team was indeed close to the money pit with TF1 in this finding this piece of paper. Since we now have more than one piece of evidence, this was indeed the place where the old gold salvage and record company was digging. So were they actually on the money pit? Now, let me give you some more context here. I think it's really important that we do this, but rather than me explaining it to you, because I am not an expert, I am going to turn to uh, an expert and uh, one of the great writers of Oak Island history, and that is a man by the name of Darcy O'Connor, whose seminal work The Secret Treasure of Oak Island is one you should be reading if you haven't yet. Uh, And we're going to learn what he writes here about the work of the Old Gold Salvage and record com- Wrecking Company and how it actually ended. Now, he's going to start off talking about a man named Henry Bowden. That's the guy who sort of, he was an engineer and who, who uh, founded the Old Gold Salvage and Wrecking Company and, uh, and led it. So here is what he writes. After setting up their campsite, Bowden's men spent a short time trying to locate the flood tunnel entrances at Smith's Cove and on the South Shore. They couldn't find them, So they moved their equipment up to the money pit, which was filled to 30 feet from the surface with seawater. Because of their limited funds, a proposed 1,000-gallon-per-minute capacity pump hadn't been brought to the island. They were unable to lower the water level in the pit. A diver dressed in a rubber suit and a brass deep-sea helmet was sent down to check on the pit's condition. He reported that it was clear, down to 113 feet, but that the cribbing was badly twisted and out of alignment. Bowdoin then decided to probe the pit's bottom with a drill, hoping that core samples would locate the treasure vault that had been struck in 1897. Once that was accomplished, he felt that it would be an easy matter to raise additional funds to sink a watertight caisson into the vault. See, this is not a new plan. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Mr. O'Connor continues. First, he dropped large charges of dynamite into the pit and cleared out much of the smashed timbering with a steam-powered bucket. That fall, a total of 28 holes were bored to between 155 and 171 feet from the surface. Bowdoin's drilling record stated that from 113 to 130 feet, the drill encountered coarse gravel and sand. This was followed by about 16 feet of blue clay, small stones, and sand. He added that in several of the test holes, quote, we struck cement six inches to 10 inches thick at depths of 146 feet to 149 feet, but no traces of boxes, treasure, or anything of that kind. At this point, Bowdoin's funds ran out and he was unable to sell more shares in the old gold salvage and wrecking company. So this equipment was put under wraps and the expedition sailed back to New York on November 4th. Bowdoin had been overconfident and undercapitalized and would later declare that Oak Island was nothing but a hoax. Now, so why do I tell you all this? Why do I read you all this kind of stuff? It's because I feel that sometimes in the show we get very little of the actual history of the hunt, and some of it really can apply to what we're seeing. And it's impossible without the help of the writers and the researchers for somebody just watching to really keep up with all this kind of stuff, Um And we need to sometimes line up all this information in order to assess what we're really looking at. According to O'Connor, the old gold salvage and wrecking company hit cement at 146 to 149 feet. But last week at 150 feet, in a hole that they were convinced was the hole where these guys were digging, TF1 hit bedrock instead. So can we conclude that these guys searching back then were may be mistaken that there really was no cement and therefore no vault? Was William Chapel wrong about what he thought was cement in a vault that, you know, and instead was rock? I mean, he thought this was a vault, a vault that, by the way, no one has ever seen again. These are tough questions. Uh, and as we get further into the money pit and dig further down, I think questions like this are going to become tougher and tougher. And I leave them here for you to decide for yourselves. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Sorry about the short show. Not much uh, going on. I mean, there's a lot going on, but there's not a whole lot to expand on in some of these shows as we focus in on this money pit dig. Anyway, shameless plug time. Don't forget every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. You can tune into WDVR-FM where you can find me hosting a show called the Bourbon Street Bistro from 2 to 4 p.m. where we'll be playing you the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5 p.m. I host another show called Island Vibes where I play music with kind of a tropical feel to it. You can listen by uh, going, if you're in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania, uh, 89.7 WDVR-FM, or you can just go to WDVRFM.org, or you can just tell Alexa to turn on WDVR. And don't forget, you can always help out the show by becoming a patron. If you think the show is worth uh, $5 a month to you, then head over to Patreon.com to learn more. Uh, And if you want to help out the show in other ways, one of the best ways you can do that is by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever, wherever you get your shows. Uh, thanks to everyone who's done that already, who's left a five-star rating. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to do that and for uh, and for the kind words. And again, if you have any questions or comments about the show, about the history of The Dig, anything like that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, you do send me an email or a direct message on social media. I may just answer it here on podcast on the podcast. So if you don't want your message read aloud, just please make a note of that for me. Speaking of social media, don't forget, follow the show on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to your search bar, type in at Digging Oak Island. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.